Welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and I was struggling a little bit this month for August uh, for various reasons. There are not a lot of anniversaries this month. There are some, uh, but there have also been some other things that I have been working on. Uh, My project this summer has been Legos. My brothers and I had over the years dumped all of our Legos into this giant box, literally thousands of pieces. Uh, And being of sound organizational mind, this was a fantasy that I had been waiting for since before college. We've had this box. And uh, I brought it to my new house uh, that we, you know, when we recently moved in, and I've got some extra space in the basement. And I figured, you know what? But no better time than now. So I poured the box out and uh, literally just covered the floor with Legos, and I sifted through all of it. I sorted through all the pieces. There were little toys that weren't even Legos, got rid of the Mega Bloks pieces, because let's be honest, Mega Bloks is a joke. But uh, I sorted them all by color, and I put them all in different pans, and then I printed off every single instruction manual from Lego's website for the pieces that I, I felt we had sets for. And uh, I'm almost fully done now, and have found close to 50 sets <laughs> Unfortunately, many of them are missing pieces, and on top of that, or I'm, but I'm so happy to see that the uh, like old Harry Potter sets, Star Wars sets, the ones from the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, but on top of that, I also started writing a book, uh, and I haven't really talked about this before, but I figured I shared since I hit a pretty big milestone, but I, I've written books before throughout the years, uh, but for some reason or another, I just I could never finish them. And uh, whether that was me lacking the courage to finish them, nervous about what other people would think, or the discipline to say, hey, you know, let's get back into reading. Obviously, life happens. But uh, my longest book that I, I wrote was in high school, and it was 57 pages long. And I had a few others come close since then over the years. I, I tend to write a lot more essays like this uh, one for this podcast today. But uh, book-wise, I just, it's, it's always been tough for me. And uh, I guess maybe blame it on the virus or my own personal growth. But one day, uh, a couple weeks ago, I just decided to start writing down this idea that I had in my head. And uh, my typical writing process has always been to kind of think about it for a while. Okay, this is what I want to do. And then I just write. But this time I decided to do a small outline. And while I was writing even that outline, I thought, well, I should just make each chapter kind of like that. Like, I would say, okay, well, this is kind of, you know, what this character did. This is their backstory. And I thought to myself, why not just write, like, just write that as your story. Those are pages. And it may not make sense, but now I'm over 100 pages already. And uh, it's only been a month or so. And so, uh, unfortunately for all of you, I won't be sharing what the book is about I'm a little secretive that way, but I will say that I'm really happy with what I've been writing so far, and that is the key. And I'm writing this book not to become famous, not to sell it, though that would be amazing, and my wife keeps telling me that's what's going to happen, but I'm doing it so that I can say that I finished writing a book. It's been something that I have fantasized about ever since I was a little kid. I've always been a writer. And um, that I can put these characters' feelings down on paper and talk about the things that I want to talk about. It's been very therapeutic. Uh, So I would recommend it to anyone, writing a book just because. Maybe even something that no one will ever see. That's the trick. And and this is a big shout-out as well to C. Robert Cargill. Uh, And I don't have this, and I'm going off script. But I followed him on Twitter for a while. Uh, He would always make these posts that said, there are, you know, whatever the day was, there are 167 days left in the year, or whatever day it would be. He did them a lot. That, that, That is 
167 pages that you could write if you wrote a page a day, or that is three scripts that you could write if you wrote 10 pages a day. And he would he would continuously say that. He would also have these really great motivational little tweets that would say like, write like no one is watching, just like write, just write. And, and he would retweet people who would ask him questions like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how can I even get my book published? And he would be like, step one, write the book. And so I just, after seeing what he said all the time, I just decided, you know what, that's what I need to do. Like I, I had those thoughts in, in the beginning of, of I want to be famous. I want to have a book published. But right now I don't even think about that. All I'm thinking about is I'm, I'm just writing these ideas down that I have and, and they're coming into a story. So um, try and do that. Write something that no one's ever going to see. It, it makes it so much easier to write when you're not worried about other people judging you. And it makes it easier because there's less pressure. But none of what I am sharing is meant to be an excuse only to give you an update on what your host has been up to the last few weeks and the fact that there are no Inception or X-Men level anniversaries in August, but there still are some amazing films. This episode, we will be talking about one such film, but before we do, I'd like to call out some of the films that I've watched recently to let you all know where to put your viewing energy. And the first one is on Disney+. Plus. Black is King just came out a week or so ago, and I cannot recommend this movie enough. Uh, it was a trip watching it and seeing Beyonce shine in every single outfit that she wore. Everyone else on the project was firing on all cylinders as well. The music was mostly great. I downloaded the soundtrack immediately after watching it. I actually hadn't listened to that music prior um, I'm not a huge Beyonce fan, but I am a huge fan of visual albums, so that's why I wanted to check this out. Uh, but the music was mostly great. There are some really catchy songs that I added to my list. Some of my favorites were Don't Jealous Me, uh, Spirit, and uh, Brown Skin Girl, and there was, a, there was another one as well. I don't have my phone on me right now. But uh, the uh, cinematography was impeccable as was the editing, the choreography, and kudos again to the costume and set design. Someone was telling me that, that uh, you know, th there were every single dress was like specially made for her for this movie, and I believe it. I mean, she's a queen, and, and she has millions and millions of dollars, so I'm sure that wasn't a problem for her or Disney. Uh, but I honestly felt empowered by the end of that film, and it wasn't for myself, but it was for future young people who, watching this movie, would realize the power that they held within themselves and it, there isn't really that much of a plot it's it's kind of about lion king but just the uh, seeing these strong beautiful people on screen wearing the coolest costumes uh just made me it made me i don't know i had this feeling inside me i was just pumped the entire time of like this is incredible uh and i was so pumped that I went on IMDb afterwards and I put in my rating and I saw tons of reviews that were one-star reviews saying things like, the movie was decent enough, but come on, black is king. And so I would I would report those and say either, you know, that this is inaccurate, you're saying the movie is decent, yet you're giving it a one, or for other uh, areas of very blatant racism, I would comment on those and report them as such. Um, small-minded people are just uncomfortable with the idea that black people can appear as royalty or being in what I would call full power mode. Uh, I really think that that's the root of that issue. And one of the comments said something like, can you imagine if a film was made called White is King? Oh, wait, that's a monarchy and we don't like that. Basically, I don't even know what they were going for with the comment, but 
Um, in checking your history, the last few thousand years have already been white as king. Uh, so it's about damn time that something uh, changed in that regard, because not only that, uh, another review was commenting on how everyone is okay with celebrating black culture this way, but white culture can't be celebrated this way. Of course it can't. White culture is steeped in slavery and supremacy since before our ancestors took this country. Uh, and it certainly helps that recently as well, right now, I'm reading Stamped from the Beginning, which details the history of racism, so I'm learning more and more about how white culture is not a fun culture. So no, we don't want to see a music video or a visual album about white culture. I'd much prefer seeing Beyonce carrying a child by the ocean, only for someone to start spinning around the earth, only for that to turn into a meteor that lands right next to Beyonce, who is now in a new, even more fierce dress. That is the culture that I want to see. And I can't remember the last time that I got that feeling inside me watching her exude the most confidence and power that I have ever seen. It was inspiring to the point where I was like, why don't I like Beyonce? And again, I don't I don't hate her. I think she's an amazing person, but I'm not a huge fan of her music. And so I was going through figuring out like, why is she such a thing? Why is Queen Bey such a thing? Um, and it said on all these different sites that I was looking on, I don't know why I even had to look, but it was like, she just, she essentially that she is so confident in herself and she is so confident in her power and she's not afraid to share that to me. That is something that we all need to work on. Obviously, if that power that you feel like you have is something that's a danger to others or a judgment and hate towards others, don't flex that power. No one wants to see that power. No, thank you. But if you're a kind and loving person be confident in that and share in those strengths so that others around you can be lifted up as well just like beyonce does the other movie that i'm calling out is ip man 4 the finale on netflix a uh, great fight movie with donnie yen that takes place during the 1960s uh, which includes Bruce Lee, who happened to, in fact, be a student of Ip Man. And if you haven't seen the other Ip Man movies, I would recommend checking them out, but you don't need to. They're all pretty self-contained. And it was a great movie, too, about racism and discrimination from people from China because um, Ip Man wants to uh, head to America and try and get his son registered in an American school, and there's just... Obviously, it was the 60s, and, and you know, again, white people did not like other people questioning them being in power. They wanted to... It's, it's a great movie in that regard. The acting is not great, but the fighting totally makes up for it. I mean, Ip Man himself is just... He's the absolute king, and um, maybe we can call it Ip Man is King. Uh, we'll call this movie that. Uh, last movie that I'll call out is one that my brother and I just watched the other night called The House That Jack Built. This movie is on Hulu. Uh, it is a movie about a serial killer and his various kills. Uh, and it's a little more than that. I don't want to really reveal too much more, but I will warn you that it is a Lars von Trier film. So take that as you will. Being a huge Lars von Trier fan, we both loved it. My brother loved it even more than I did. He gave it a 10. I gave it an 8. Um, but it was it was great. It was really good very gruesome deaths that I had to close my eyes for, and I'm 100% not ashamed of that. There's no shame in not wanting to see something that may get scarred in your mind forever. But great performances, great camera work, and again, I don't know, I'm just a huge fan of Lars von Trier. I thought this was a really great film that really epitomized his uh, his career. It, it really felt like he was taking a self 
uh, reflective look at his life and his works and kind of equating himself to that serial killer, which I would love to have a discussion with any of you around. Um, but it would regard spoiling the movie and I don't want to because it is a pretty current film. I think it came out in 20... It's listed as 2018, but I believe it was briefly in theaters in 2019 before it was taken down. Uh, people walked out during the Cannes Film Festival when it was uh, premiered, but he also got a six-minute standing ovation at the end of it. Uh, so that's that's Lars von Trier with it for you. So with all of that out of the way, let's take a drive down Sunset Boulevard. Directed by Billy Wilder and written by Charles Brackett and Billy Wilder, this movie was made in 1950, uh, so we are celebrating the 70th anniversary of this film. Surprisingly, and luckily, that was last night, um, August 10th of 1950, when that movie came out. So as I watched that film for the second time now, I caught and appreciated so many more things than that first viewing. It really makes a great case for re-watching films later, uh, as opposed to, you know, I, I, and I love watching, you know, Avengers, whatever the movie may be, where you watch it day one and then day two, blah, blah, blah. But watching a movie and then watching it a couple years later, we grow and evolve as people and we can spot more nuanced things or nuanced themes that may have gone over our heads in the past. And again, even better, last night on the 10th, that was the 70th anniversary. So no spoiler or spoilers for this ancient movie uh we will be talking spoilers but made in 1950 it won three oscars for best screenplay best set design and best score it's a very easy film to fall in love with and uh just the way we all fell in love with la la land or any other film about hollywood but it's a rare old take of how hollywood can be a nasty place that chews young people up and spits them out into a more bitter but no less starstruck person. And I think that's one of the coolest things about this movie. And I saw on a, a quick little bit of trivia on Amazon. So this movie is streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member, it's free on there. Uh, you can also probably find it on... I don't think you probably can. You definitely can find it on Pluto TV. It's free TV. Um, it's probably going to have ads, but you can watch it on there. It's one of those movies that's always on TV or on Pluto TV. But the film also employs a really cool technique where the narrator shows himself dead in the pool right at the beginning of the movie. And uh, whether you catch that or not really doesn't matter. I don't think on my first viewing I noticed. I may have. But it's all like you're in for a treat. And I think that's my favorite part about this movie is how sophisticated and ahead of its time it is. This film came out in 1950. The script feels like it was written today and not from a oh this is a time like in terms of how good it is so honestly maybe not today because there's a lot of really bad scripts out there right now but um it's just one of the sharpest scripts that i've ever ever written written i wish i wrote it uh whether you uh you know need that or not the movie more than deserved its best screenplay oscar as the writing is some of the best and it's whip-smart dialogue coupled with excellent performances. And I'll be calling out a lot of the quotes that I loved in this film as well because there are so many quotable lines. So, movie opens. Main character Joe is in a financial rut. He's a screenplay writer in Hollywood just trying to find $300 to pay his car bill because the company is trying uh, to repossess his vehicle, the car company. He drives around town looking for a buck. And says, as I drive down Sunset Boulevard, I took inventory of all my prospects. They now added up to exactly zero. 
Uh, and he's a pretty funny guy. He's got that sort of dry wit comedy writing. It just, I, it's hard to explain other than you have to see it to believe it. Like, I was really paying attention to it on this viewing, and I don't think there's a single line of dialogue wasted. In trying to sneak away in his vehicle, he ends up being followed by those guys, and then in racing to escape them, gets a flat tire. Quickly, he turns into a random driveway and ends up at the old mansion of a once-famous silent film picture actress Norma Desmond. This is where the film kicks into high gear. Her performances steal the show as she plays an older woman who has been forgotten by Hollywood but is no less rich. She can have whatever she wants, but all she wants is a comeback, or as she calls it, a return. He says, you're Norma Desmond. You used to be in the silent pictures. You used to be big. And she exclaims, I am big. It's the pictures that got small. This is actually the number 24 or number 24 on American Film Institute's list of top 100 movie quotes. And one of my favorites, too, in the film, I didn't, real, I didn't realize the two of the quotes I picked were actually from this list, but I, I just love that. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. And he says, well, I didn't know you were planning a comeback. I hate that word. It's a return. A return to the millions of people who have never forgiven me for deserting the screen. And uh, later, after seeing a funeral for a monkey in a tiny coffin, a creepy butler and more, he says, I sure turned into an interesting driveway. Somehow, she convinces him to stay at the house after she finds out that he is a writer. And it's not somehow. She's rich and she pays for everything for him. So essentially, he's like a live-in writer. She has written a script for her return that is terrible, and so he works on editing it. As he works, their relationship grows quicker for her and more slowly for him he feels trapped in this house among all the relics of the past she claims to get thousands of fan letters but later we find out the butler is the one who's sending them we also find out that the butler was her director when she was a young star and he felt so terrible about what happened to her that he begged her to like please let me be your butler i need to take care of you but then he even further reveals that he was her first husband so he didn't want to leave her. So I don't know if, if I was, I don't know if, if my wife left me and I happened to also be the director of her films, I don't think I'd be going back to be like, I want to, you know, can I be your butler? I don't know. That's just me. At one point, the main character does actually even say, I don't want to be stuck in your past and leaves only for her to slit her wrists, which is very dark for this time, I would imagine. I mean, they don't show her doing it, but there's a there's a bit where the butler is explaining, like, we make sure that there are no, no sharp objects in the house, blah, 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 because Norma is very suicidal. He doesn't actually say suicidal, but says that she's, you know, tried to commit suicide multiple times. Just, again, she's washed up. She's She knows her time is done, but she's trying to stay and live in that moment. And, um, but so she does, she cuts her wrist on one of Joe's razors that he left at the house. Uh, and this happens on new year's Eve. He leaves to go to a party with people his age and has a great time with one of his friends, um, girlfriends, Betty, who actually works at Paramount studios along with him. He, he like writes for Paramount in, in some instances. And so she's there and she's a reader. So she reads the scripts and she was like, yeah, I've read some of your scripts. They're not good, basically. So they kind of have this sort of testy. Um, there's definitely some chemistry between the two of them. They're very, the, again, the, the dialogue between the two of them is just sparks fly. But um, so he, he decides, you know what, I'm done with this. So he calls the house and, and the butler answers Max 
and he's like, all right, bring my things. I'm done. Like, and she, he goes, I can't do that right now. Madam is, uh, you know, she's not well or whatnot. And he explains to her, like she cut her wrists. And so he races back to the house. So I'm thinking here, like, ah, he actually really does like her. But at the same time, she is 100% manipulating him, manipulating him for buying all the things that she's bought for him. But she also legitimately believes that she loves him. So it's a twisted version of love. But, um, once the script is finished, she she decides to send it to her friend, Cecil DeMille. Cecil B. DeMille, those of you who don't know who that is, he directed The Ten Commandments. He's a very, very famous old director. And um, she, it's just so funny. I mean, I'm, I'm missing so many lines from this film. Like, every line is a zinger. Um, she receives a phone call, though. He's like, Madam, there's a phone call from Paramount. And he's like, ah, DeMille, he's waited for me. No, this is a, a Gordon something. And she's like, no, I'm not going to take a call from him. And uh, decides, you know, obviously she's above that. She's not going to uh, only Cecil. So eventually she doesn't hear from him. So they decide to go to the Paramount lot, which must have been nice for budget concerns since this is a Paramount movie. I'm sure they loved advertising their lot. But they meet, actually, Cecil DeMille, who makes a cameo appearance, along with a shout-out to another cameo appearance by Buster Keaton, who uh, a little earlier in the film. But Cecil is so nice to her. And even before she comes, they're like, hey, uh, Norma Desmond is coming. He's like, what? Why? And they're like, she's coming to talk about that script. And he's like, that was such a bad script. It was a terrible script, but I feel so bad for her because Hollywood ruined her, like made her life a living hell. And we sort of get why it's that same sort of Shirley Temple type um, mental, like, you know, you were a big star when you were younger, things have changed and you still feel like you are, but no one else does. And so he, he actually has a really good bit of dialogue, a really good monologue where he's essentially explaining that to this, this key grip guy, Cecil's on set. And so there's a bunch of people around, but he's essentially explained to them why and to the audience in the same way. Um, but she, he's like, you know, she wasn't always tough to work with, but he has pity for her. She comes in and asks why he can't call her himself and he doesn't understand. Uh, and she, she, he's, he's like, come here, sit down in this chair. And um, she's like, I would love to work with you or I can't wait to work with you. But also, uh, you know me, I'll never start work before 10 a.m. or after 4 p.m. any day. And uh, just, again, just great lines. But we come to find out during those talks that it wasn't Cecil that was calling from Paramount, obviously, but it wasn't even someone working for Cecil. It was someone on a different picture who was trying to rent her car because she has a really old, fancy car and rent her car for a movie, which he was like, we can't let her know that. Like, that that's why they were calling her was just to rent her car that they didn't want her in the movie. Uh, really sad and but even at that point he goes i gotta go make a phone call like i gotta talk to these people and during that time though all of the stage hands and all of the people on set like the stage hand who's the key grip who's working on the lighting up top he goes that's norma desmond and he he goes hey norma and like shines his spotlight on her so the, the bright light is on her and immediately she's like just feeling so happy and all of these set people are like norma desmond that's norma desmond oh my goodness, I thought she died, or like, what? But they all go, like, circle around her, they start fawning over her, and it really feels like she's reliving her glory, which is a simultaneously incredibly happy scene, but is also a really sad scene in that same regard that her her work life is kind of over. Um, but it really stands out as a highlight, one of my favorite scenes in the film. And while this is going on, all while this whole bit's going on, Joe has been working on... Uh, an old script, 
with that girl Betty, who is now engaged to his friend. And they've they've uh, agreed. Obviously, this is professional, but she starts falling in love with him. He must be a real charmer because she's got Norma Desmond falling for him. He's got Betty, uh, and he's feeling pulled in a sense between Norma and Betty. But it's it's a, an interesting pull because I don't think it has anything to do with the relationship necessarily with the scripts of like I'm working with Norma or working on her script sort of thing as well. Um, but so he's been returning home after a couple late nights and Norma's like, where you been? What's been going on? He's like, I'm just going on a walk. She's like, no, you're not. You took the car. He's like, I went to the beach. But so we find out this is what he's been doing is that he's been going to write this script and it's just a script on one of his old scripts. And, uh, so finally though, the Butler Max confronts him when he comes home one night and there, he reveals all that stuff about him being, you know, her old husband and whatnot. But they say, fine, we're going to keep this a secret. But she, Norma, finds the script and she can't believe it. And so she decides to sabotage the relationship. She calls Betty and is basically like, how much do you know about Joe? What is his life, his hobbies? Like, oh, basically, like, do you know what he does on uh, on his nights? Like, he's here with me. But Joe shows up in the room and he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not standing for this. And he grabs the phone from Norma and he's like, Betty, it's Joe. And she's like, Joe, what's going on? He goes, it's easier for you to just come here and see. And so he like gives her the address. She shows up and he explains everything that he's been doing. And, and, and it's a cool conversation. Like he's basically like, hey, I'm living in this house with this really rich person. You may, you probably don't recognize her, but you may know her name, Norma Desmond. Um, she pays for everything. I've been living a great life and I, I like this. Like I like not having to worry about anything and it's i get it it makes sense for him he's been he's been on bad luck he's hasn't been the best writer he talks in the beginning about how he's had a couple of b movies whatever the case may be he he's like i I can't be with you you need to leave and i don't get why i mean she was a nice girl and all but i guess it's because he's she's engaged uh and so you know go be with your man and at the same but he also likes that cushy life so he goes up to his room and Norma's like, oh, thank you, Joe. Like, oh, you, I knew you'd come around. But he just goes right into his room and starts packing. And she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, don't make me do it. I have a gun. And he's like, yeah, right. And she brings a gun out. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to do anything with that gun. And um, she's like, well, what's wrong? Like, what can I do? Please, Joe, what? And he says, there's nothing tragic about being 50, Norma, unless you're trying to be 25. And that was a really powerful line for me too of just, you know, older people trying to be young, not embracing. There's a difference between being young at heart and just trying to be young. They're very, very different, especially if you're stuck in your ways like Norma is. So as he leaves, Norma shoots him three times in the back. Stone cold murder. And we are now back to the beginning of the movie as Joe is explaining this will make things worse for her when the headlines come out. Aging actress kills young screenwriter. Yesterday's glamour queen. Forgotten star. I'm glad that those are the biggest concerns after her murdering another human being. And uh, and I didn't mention this before, but uh, there is a lack of representation in this movie. Uh, and I have it here. But if I hadn't noticed the lack of representation in this movie, which there isn't, Besides Rudy, who is the guy who stores Joe's car from the Repo Men uh, in the very beginning, Rudy, and this is one of a quote I liked, who never asks about finances, he just looks at your shoes and knows the score. Besides Rudy, this is an almost all-white picture, which makes sense for being 70 years old and also being about Hollywood, which was predominantly white. 
uh, at that time especially but what really struck me as annoying more so than that is that she murders this man in cold blood and and she loses her mind and so then like the next scene is she's at her glamour table like getting ready um for what you could say is like a scene surrounded by reporters and police officers all of whom are just standing around her saying why'd you do it norma what you know what made you do it and i know for a fact if she had been a person of color i doubt that is how the police would have reacted but it just shows how hollywood celebrities do have quite a bit of privilege on top of the white privilege uh, but this does lead us to one of the best endings as the, you know, they're like, we're trying to figure out how to get her downstairs. And it's like, oh, you're the police. Why don't you cuff her and take her downstairs for killing this guy? Uh, but what ends up happening is Max comes up and he says, uh, madam, the cameras are ready. And he says, she goes, oh, tell Mr. DeMille that I'll be right down. And they're like looking at each other like, what? And one of the cops looks at another and he says, hey, if it's going to get her to go downstairs... And so they're basically tricking her into thinking she's in a movie. And so she gets to the edge of the stairs and the cameras are on her and she's glowing, absolutely gorgeous. And uh, Max is like, and, and she goes, wait, what scene is this? And she's, he's like, it's the, you're going down the palace steps. He goes, she goes, ah, yes. And he's like, ah, and action. And she just starts walking down the steps. The music picks up, absolutely gorgeous. And as she goes down, she starts talking for a little bit, but we're going to be getting to now the number seven quote of all time, American Film Institute's top 100 movie quotes, number seven, which is the last bit of this full quote, which I wanted to touch on as well because I love this. This entire thing she says, she's saying directly into the camera, and it's basically a close-up. And that's, I mean, that's the main quote anyway, but she says, and I promise you, I'll never desert you again because after Salome, we'll make another picture and another picture. You see, this is my life. It always will be nothing else, just us and the cameras and those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close up. And the film fades to fog and fades away. And that's the famous quote is, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. But it's just such an, uh, a breaking of the fourth wall to say, this is my life. I mean, looking at the life of an actor uh, in any, any time period, whether it is Norma Desmond, and I'm, we'll talk a little bit about it coming up, but Meryl Streep, any famous actor that you can think of that... Um, that that is their life i mean we all have a job to do on this earth and and obviously it's not to work but uh in terms of pursuing your passions when you're pursuing them that is your life and it always will be nothing else just us and the cameras and those wonderful people out there in the dark which is sad right now because we can't go to the movies but just the idea that in 1950, she's looking directly at an audience in a movie theater saying, this, basically, in a way, you created me. You made me what I am right now, this mad, crazy woman. And I hope this makes sense. I'm going off script. But it really is insight into the, the idea of Hollywood, which we've talked about before in some of the podcasts. But just this idea that we idolize these people. 
we idolize these humans that are no different than us other than they look and sound good in front of a camera. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that look and sound good in front of a camera that aren't actors. But these people, we idolize. We put them on a pedestal. And the human mind, it's difficult sometimes for some people to separate that. To be, able, I mean, It's like a work-life balance, right? You're, if you're an actor all the time, maybe you can't separate that. You can't separate that celebrity from yourself to go home and have a normal life and not, especially for someone like Norma, who her best years are behind her. And she just feels this innate need to please others behind the screens, not those in her personal life, but to just be the center of attention because that's what she always has been. She's been a star. And it's because of the camera. It's because of those people paying for tickets to go and see her films. And it just, it's the perfect line to end this movie on. Absolutely brilliant. And this film is a really fascinating look at the sadder side of Hollywood. How quickly we forget about those that came before in acting or any other type of art. Art is so fickle. And all it takes is one bad movie for someone to be left in the lurch. I can't imagine being a silent movie star and having the world change with the advent of sound in pictures. That's just crazy. As the movie went on, I was thinking about how this could be a type of A Star is Born movie where every 50 years a new Sunset Boulevard is made with an older actor and a young person taking over. In my head, I thought about Meryl Streep and a YouTube star, uh, but I probably wouldn't see that movie because I'm not a huge fan of Meryl. I get that she's amazing, but I'm just personally not a fan of her. And uh, also, I'm not a huge fan of very many YouTube stars anyway. So uh, what this movie also highlights is the importance of all of those people behind the scenes. This is especially prevalent in a quote Betty has while they are writing their script together. They're walking around and she shares with Joe how she's grown up in the movies. Uh, her family worked in films, not necessarily as actors, but uh, behind the scenes. And she always wanted to be a star, but she wasn't good at acting. And now she's content with being a reader and eventually being a writer. But she says, what's wrong with being on the other side of the camera? It's really more fun. And I, I again, another quote that I know was pandering and, and pandering in a good way to all of those people behind the scenes. I mean, this is literally a movie about writing films right i mean it's a movie also about the decline of movie stars and the and the psychological impacts that impact them but it's also about a screenwriter writing a script with uh one person writing a script with another person trying to get those scripts published that's all behind the scenes type stuff and i love that they call that out just the same way as they do in other movies like la la land where yeah they want to be actors but there's other pieces that have to go into making a movie it's not just about the celebrities it's about every single person on set that makes a movie amazing i watched this movie first time because it was on the imdb top 250 films of all time but i watched it a second time because of the 70th anniversary and now I can't wait to watch it a third time because the writing is so sharp and it is such a good look at some of the parts of Hollywood that people forget, such as silent films, the writing process. It's also an amazing masterpiece in regards to having a dead person narrate the film the entire time, even when his character doesn't know that he's dead. And that's something, I, I don't know if they were the first, I feel like they probably were since it was 1950s, but that's just such a smart writing tactic. I mean, everything about the script in this movie is brilliant. And that is the end of the reel for this episode of Comics and Cinema. 
I'm your host, Alex Klein, and I too am ready for my close-up. 